0: Um, just while we were worshipping I just had this picture and it was in the throne, very throne room of God and as, um, as I was worshipping there in the throne room of God I had the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit were there and I, I just had this sense of this huge crowd of people that had come to worship God and as I looked out to the crowd the faces and the feeling i got were it was your faces. Right at the front of this very crowd was you. You, you were sitting there, you were standing, you were worshipping our Father in heaven. And then our father just turned to the to the right and he pointed to Jesus and he said, "See here, the light of the world." And he's just Jesus was glowing in all his glory and he was and sat in there and he is the light of the world and just saw the father pointing him out. And then and then he just turned to 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 you guys sitting in the crowd and he said, "See here, the light of the world." And I was just sitting there, standing there thinking, what. What is our Father saying? This is the, He's saying that Jesus is the light of the world, but then he points at us. And it's the Matthew 5 passage where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And there's a whole double sense in that, in the fact that actually Christ is the light of the world, but Christ lives in us. And as Christ lives in us, we are also the light of the world through Christ Jesus who lives inside us. And I just had that feeling. Jesus was just standing there. See my people who shine like stars in a depraved generation as they hold on to the words of life. That's it. No more. Well. That's Okay, let's pray. Father, I just pray that um, as we um, look at scriptures, as we talk about what uh, goes on in our lives, as we talk about Jesus Christ interacting with us and the world, that Father, we see some of your heart in this and we see some of the heart of Jesus Christ. We're not just listening to a collection of words produced by someone, but we're seeing the very heart of Jesus Christ for the lost in our world. Father, come and fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your spirit and give us a sense of a broken heart for the lost, that we have tears on our cheeks for the lost in the same way that Jesus Christ does. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're going to be looking at eating with Jesus and really we're going to be looking at a real sense of how we eat at the dinner table in terms of community but also eating as in how Jesus ate with with people around him in community, but then also with the lost and what that looks like and what that feels like and what does that mean for us today, uh, and and how does that how do we see that take place in the world? So I'm going to just start off straight away with who did he, who did Jesus sit down and eat with, and um, and we see things like the ov- most obvious ones is is the is the uh, uh, you know the Last Supper the lord's feast as it's sometimes called and, and you know where, where communion was 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 actually initiated by jesus the sacrament of, of communion and he's he's there with his disciples and he's got all his disciples around him and he's he's eating but he's teaching and he's showing them how he's going to wash them and uh, with the, with his own blood and all of this sort of stuff and he's talking about the future and 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 you know all of you will need to be washed by me and it's just amazing. He's got that sense of these the people he loves around him. And then also you've got other wider groups of of followers of Jesus, because it's not just twelve followers of Jesus, of course. And you've got the five thousand five thousand disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus who turn up on a the mountainside. They've got no food, and Jesus says, actually, I care about these people. Don't just send them home. Let's feed them. And of course his disciples are going sweating on their brows. Where are we going to find the food for five thousand? But we wouldn't even find the food for you guys, let alone five thousand. And all of a sudden out it comes with a miracle. And then you get other sorts of scenarios where, where he's he eats with like for example the one on the beach where they're having the bar where Jesus is having a barbecue, of uh, or fish barbecue and he's just been resurrected. We see the resurrected Christ. He calls his disciples in who he sees fish and he sits on the beach with them and he's cooking fish for breakfast and he's having this barbecue, but at the same time he's chatting to them and he's talking to them and community is being developed around the people that he loves. And we see these stories in, in the Bible. It's more than that. It goes on there's got the the wedding feast and, and other sorts of stories where Jesus Christ is there. And then and then if we if if we start to think, well, hold on, what does that mean for, 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 for Christians? What does that mean for followers of Jesus? And we see in Acts 2.42, Jesus has died, Jesus ascended into heaven, and and, and the the early early church is there in Acts 2.42, and we see this this sense of the the early church coming together and being formed, and it sort of says the things that were going on there. And we we look at the the, the wonders that it says in Scripture. It talks about miracles, and it talks about apostolic teaching, and it talks about all these sorts of things that goes on. But then within that, if you look and if you dig into it, it starts talking about things like, These guys were devoted to fellowship. They were together. They were having everything in common. They gave to everyone who had need. They were eating together. They met together in each other's homes with sincere and glad hearts, having everything in common. And you see these bits in this Acts 2.42, this early church, and all of a sudden you're starting to see, well, actually, hold on, this is more than just the miracles, it's more than just the teaching of the apostles, actually this is living, sorry, just a bit, this is living Jesus Christ. This is living Jesus Christ. And you see this sort of sense of, uh, of, of this early church of living in community, a community which loves each other, um, which loves each other and, and the, the sense of caring and looking after each other in, 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 in Acts 2.40, this early church. And, we, and, he's, and what you're seeing is Christ's heart being shared, giving to each other as they had need. This is Jesus' heart. He said, feed the poor. And when they're sitting there and, they're, and, they're, and they're, making, they're going in each other's homes, this is Jesus with Zacchaeus going back to his home and eating. You see Jesus' heart in Acts 2.42. This is not Jesus gone, now what's the church going to do? This is Jesus gone, but he is in their hearts. And he sits with them in Acts 2.42. We see Christ in their meal, at their mealtimes, in his glory, because these things are new to the world. And you see this massive sense of, of love which comes from Christ Jesus, which lands on the dinner table, actually lands on the dinner table. And, and it's, it's all going really fine and exciting because this is Jesus' heart, and we see Jesus' heart. And then you get all the way to, to 1 Corinthians and, and Paul's there and he's starting to tell the Corinthians off. He says, hold on you guys, he says you're, 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 you're letting people go hungry. When you come together to eat, some of you have got great meals, these guys over here have bought their own food, they're sitting stuffing themselves and you lot are going hungry. And it's almost the opposite of Jesus Christ's heart we see, we see being there. We see the church in Corinth, this this sense of they've lost the heart of Jesus Christ to eat and care for the people around him, whereas before in Acts we saw this magnificent picture of the glory of Jesus Christ. Guys, what we're looking at here in this Acts 2.40 is a relationship building. That eating isn't just, let's fill our tummies, let's make sure we've got enough food for the rest of the day. It's about people who love and care for each other. It's about being together at a time when actually... When actually it, it, it's, it's considered in most cultures as being a time when people are most vulnerable, when they've come to eat. You know, it would be In the olden days, it would be, leave your weapons at the door, come and eat at my table. And they're vulnerable then in that situation. They've got, left leave your army outside, but come and sit at my table. There's a vulnerability in that, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a cultural relevance across the world of when you sit at someone's table, you know that the person who, who feeds you is going to honour you because they always honour the guest. In our culture in England, we do the same thing. We honour the guest who sits at our table. We love them like Christ does. And we see that taking place at, dinner, at the dinner table. So what does that look like in real life? So, so I try to eat with friends. I, I really love eating with friends. I've got a friend, one friend particularly of mine, he's, he's not got any family. Uh, he's got no family connections. He's got, he's got some friends in the church, but... But actually, he's, he, he loves to eat with me. And we go, we go and we eat every two weeks. About every two weeks, we just go and we have a meal together. Breakfast, usually. And we, we sit and we talk about... It. But it's not... Do you know what? The food is... You know, you could do away with the food, but we like it, so we won't. But it's, it's more of the sense of he sharing his... He sits there and he shares his problems and we talk about them. I sit there and I share my problems and we talk about them. And then we pray about them sometimes, or we, we talk about we're, we're going to pray about each other's issues and, and going through things and, and, and... Do you know, we're good at talking and we're good at eating. And that's what it looks like. But the reality is, in that meeting, we're good at caring for each other and we're good at loving each other like Christ loves us. And that's what happens at that meal. We used to, we used to have our elders' meetings in, in, in Kendall Church where we used to meet, um, and the, the guys wouldn't mind me telling you this, but in the first three years of being a forming an eldership team, the eldership team was really operational and it was really functional and we would go through the business of the church and, and it would be a bit like that and it would be like there's just something lacking in our elders' meetings, and, and we ju- I just felt, you know, guys, we're not, we're not relating as, uh, as, as we see in Acts 2.42, loving and caring for each other. So we decided to eat, and then we decided to eat every week. So in the end, we were eating every week, and, and, and we came together at half six rather than starting at half seven for the meeting. We came together at half six, and we ate for an hour. We didn't talk any church business. We just talked about each other, and we took the mick out of each, and we just laughed together, and we loved together, and we cared together. For each other. And it transformed our relationships and it transformed. And one of the elders, he just said uh, a, a, couple of, uh, a couple of years into that, he just said, I just feel I've got my, my, my best friends in the room. Now I don't think, what he wasn't saying was I don't care about the rest of the church, but that sense of being able to eat with someone that week after week, week after having that time to do that, meant that there was a relationship forming there that went on and on. Okay. Can I just say, when we're talking about the world, when we look at the world, the world will look at you and they will ask the question, what are, you different to, are you different to me as a Christian? If they know you're Christians and they come to see with you, or they come to eat at your table, they'll ask a question. And there's a scripture which I'm going to start straight off. I usually end preachers with scripture, but I'm kicking off straight off with it because I love this scripture. It's one of my favourites. There's a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that first bit, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You know, Jesus Christ has loved you. You know how to love the person who sits next to you in a way that's different to the rest of the world. Because you've seen someone die on the cross in love for you, of you, in love with you. Sorry, not for you, in love with you. And therefore you can love the person sitting next to you because you've been described a way or shown a way of loving. But then not only that, because you love the person who sits at your dinner table in a different way and the world sees that, then they actually, they, they, what, they should, what they're actually seeing, it says in this scripture, is they're seeing me. They're seeing Jesus Christ. They're seeing the fact that you follow me. That you are like me. That you are one of my people. So there's this huge scripture here where it talks about loving one another at the root of, of hospitality, at the root of eating, is this whole sense of loving and caring and then actually being of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely key in what we're doing. We had a, uh, a couple who came to join us and uh, they came the first week and the first week they came into our church they were invited back to dinner. And then the next week they were invited back to dinner. But another couple... So we do that in our church a lot. We invite people back to dinner because it's a way of actually of loving and caring. In the same way as Christ said to Zacchaeus, come down Zacchaeus, I want to eat with you today in your house. We would say, come back to our house for dinner. Now that guy leads, that, leads our church in, in Kendall. He's the guy who leads the church. And he made a decision on joining the church because he felt that actually, he felt that when he went into the church, he was loved by the church and he saw something which was different to what he'd seen anywhere else. He saw the love of Jesus Christ. It was huge for him. And now he leads the church and now he talks about it. He, te- he brings testimony to the rest of the church about how, it's a, how that's impacted him. Do you know what? It's not just about eating. This is this really, you know, when, you, when, when Jesus Christ sits down and ate with people, it, you know, actually sitting down with a coffee, going for a coffee with someone, inviting someone around for a cup of tea, that's the same sort of thing. You're still practising hospitality, you're still loving and caring someone, you're still being with them in a way that is, 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 is able to demonstrate the love of Christ to the people you're with. So it's not just about, can I provide a meal for someone? It's also about, can I spend time with people? Okay, Jesus used to eat to evangelise, it's what he did, he would eat. so we see this in this story here, which is uh, Levi, yeah let's go for Levi, so this is, if you want to follow it in your Bibles, this is Mark two thirteen to 17. Let's read it. Once again Jesus went outside to a lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along he saw Levi, son of Alphas, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, um, many tax collectors and sinners who were, were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners?" On hearing this, Jesus said to them, "It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous—not I have come—I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." So here's a question for you. When was the last time you asked a tax collector to come and eat at your... or when did you last invite yourself to eat at a tax collector's house or invite a tax collector to your house to eat dinner? And sometimes we look at these stories and we think this just doesn't happen in our, in our world today. So um, our son, who um, is at um, uh, University in Preston, he's part of the Preston Church plant, and he's, um, he's going around to... Uh, uh, he's, he's the church plant is brand, was brand new. This is about um, a year and a half ago. It was brand new, and uh, there were six people in the church plant, three couples, six people. And he's going around to one of these couples for a curry, and uh, he's, he gets the bus. He's on his own. He gets to the bus stop, and there's another guy at the bus stop, and he sees this guy at the bus stop, and he recognizes him. Doesn't know his name. He's never spoken to him before in his life, but he recognises he's seen him at university. So just standing at the bus stop, waiting for the bus, he just says, oh, hi, did you go to this university? Uh, I thought I've seen you, yeah, I've seen you around here. What course are you doing? just starts chatting to him like this, chatting away to him. And then midway through the conversation, he just gets this, "Ah, why not invite him to the house for curry? Now, he comes from our house, and in our house, we just do meals for as many people as want to turn up. We always do that. So his way of thinking is like that. So even though it's not his house, he's not providing the meal, he just thinks, I can bring this guy around, he can have some food, they'll have enough food, that'll be fine, because that's the way he thinks, he thinks like us. So he invites, he says to the guy, I'm going for a curry around my friend's house, do you want to come? And the guy's like, mmm, mm. and you can see, and probably he's thinking, I don't know you, is this a bit weird? Go around, mmm, uh, mmm, do you know what, I like food, curry, I like curry. Yes, I'll go. So he says, yes, I'll go. Unbeknown to Ben, he's actually, he's actually asked the question of this guy and he's touched on the thing that most motivates him in life. Food. <laughs> it's, a, it's a word from God, if you like. And so the two of them go off and they have a curry. And the guy just enjoys being with the people there. He just has a great time. And then... So he keeps coming back for more and more food, week after week, and he, keep, and he, and he just spends time with them. And in the end... He sees what they're about, he sees they're a church plant, and he gives his life to Jesus. Four weeks ago, four weeks ago, they baptised him in a, one of the rivers in Preston City. All because one guy went up to him and said, Hi, how are you doing? Would you like to come back for a curry? So it does happen today. Now I'm not saying go up and ask every weird person at the bus stop and that might not be your thing. Um, But sometimes you've got to be open to the prompting of God because Jesus Christ did it. If Jesus did it, in, in John 14 it says, you will do greater things than I. I think what that means is if you see a crowd at a bus stop, invite the crowd back for dinner. So hold on, let's, let's, go, let's, let's go with this story. So the tax collectors are saying, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, he's in the room with tax collectors and sinners, but why is that important? Well, you have to understand what the tax collectors and, uh, sorry, what the Pharisees are saying. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What are they actually saying there? What they're actually saying is not just why does he eat with, with sinners, they are saying why does he associate with sinners? Because actually eating a meal in these times is about relating to somebody, it's about relationship. So at, the, the Pharisees are saying why is Jesus associating with these sinners? No, 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 actually what they're really saying is why does Jesus make friends with sinners? Because it's all about relationship. And then if you dig a bit deeper, they're actually saying, because when when you're a friend of someone, you love them. So what they're really saying is, why does he love sinners? Do you see They're passing comment? This comment isn't why does he eat with tax collectors, they're passing comment on the fact that Jesus is having a caring relationship with sinners. And then what they're really saying is, because he loves sinners, he loves sin. Because they're saying that he's being blasphemous. So even the Pharisees are understanding what a meal is about. It's about relationship, it's about loving and caring for people. (coughs) So eating, eating demonstrates relationship, it's about love. Jesus would have spent time with sinners. He was known as friend of sinners. He was known as a glutton. He ate a lot. Not because he ate privately at home with normal meals like other people, but he was at this person's house eating, that person's house eating. He will be here eating, there eating. I guarantee you Jesus didn't eat double plates of meals. But Jesus was probably at a lot of places eating, so therefore people associated him with food. And he was always eating with sinners, friend of sinners. Here's a question, guys. Jesus ate with sinners. Who do you guys eat with? i have just asking Jo to come up and talk, we'll talk some, uh, to give us some examples and uh, she's got one now of, of, of the way that we do things.
1: Um, I just wanted to share an example from our lives really of the sorts of sometimes pickles that we get ourselves into and I wanted to tell you what our family's Christmas dinner ended up looking like this year. We've got five kids obviously so before we've even started there's seven of us for Christmas dinner but of course Ben's married So it's now eight. And then, of course, I've got a brother. He's got a family. I've got my mum, her husband. We wanted to spend our Christmas with our family. Obviously, that's kind of normal, isn't it? So, of course, we invited them all to come and spend Christmas with us. But then I started thinking, hang on, Ben's wife, Katie, what about her family? She's got a really small family. Um, Really, it's not really fair to just leave them on their own. We'd better invite them, too. And then I started thinking, well, actually, our daughter, she's got a boyfriend. He is going to want to come. And actually, he's got a really small family. It's just him and his parents. We'd better invite them too. And then I started thinking, but what about our friends that don't have any family to spend Christmas with? What about Rob's friend that he was mentioning earlier? That doesn't have any family. What about our friends whose family are not in the UK? Actually, they're going to be on their own for Christmas. We'd better invite them too. And then I started thinking, but what about what about our friends who are not so well? We've got some friends who. Um, who are sick or, or one of their children is sick in, in another case, and actually they can't really get out very easily. It's quite difficult, but for them to sort of... They haven't got anybody else. It will just be them. They haven't got anybody else to share their Christmas with. And actually they, do, they can make it to our house if they kind of... If we plan it in, if we maybe move our shoe rack so that it's accessible, we can get a wheelchair in, we maybe need to just think about the seating, but we can do it. I think we'll invite them too. Before I knew it, we had 27 sitting down for Christmas dinner and, and another eight coming for tea in the evening. Later, we had actually a really, really lovely time. It was fun. It was a bit crazy, but it was fun. Later on in the evening, however, my brother said to us, it was, yeah, you know, it was great. I'm not really sure who all those people were, though. And really what I want to know is, who was that woman in her dressing gown? (laughs) I'd sent Rob over with a wheelchair to go and fetch an elderly neighbour in. In my mind, honestly, I had expected, I knew she hadn't been well, she hadn't been able to get dressed for quite some time, but I thought, you know, really the motivation of coming for Christmas dinner, she's got all morning, we've got a plan, she'll just about manage to get dressed and then Rob can wheel her over and when she's had enough, he can wheel her back, it'll be fine. When he arrived, she was in her dressing gown, showing no, and, and that was her plan. She knew she couldn't get dressed. She just came in her dressing gown. I didn't really notice. It, it was surprising for our other guests. But actually, do we do this? Do we end up with 27 plus 8 spending Christmas with us? Because I have not got enough to do in my life and I'm kind of bored and need a project... Is it because I'm totally mad? There probably is an element of that in there. But that's not really why we ended up spending our Christmas that way. There was a cost. There was a cost in that I had to cook a lot of food. There was a cost for my family. My immediate family didn't get the same level of quality time they would have done with us if it had been a small and intimate meal. But we did it because... We want to be like Christ. We want to love the people around us in the way that Jesus loved people. We want to include people in our lives, and not just in our lives, but in our family. We want to say to these that don't have other family, we are your family. We want to say to those that are unwell or having real struggles in their lives, we're alongside you. You don't have to be on your own. You can be with us. It did involve some creative table arrangements. It did involve some creative cooking. But actually, it was worth it because we were able to show the love of Christ. We weren't showing them that we're we loop- Maybe they might have gone away feeling they're mad. But actually, what we were shown was that Jesus loves them that actually they're part of our family. They're not just part of the rest of our lives, but not the times that are really family times that count. Actually, we wanted to include these people in who we are and to allow them to be really part of our lives and know that they were loved and being provided for and cared for.
0: Don't don't really, um, don't think to yourselves, actually, I can't do dinner for 27, so that counts me out here. Because actually, coffee for one, shows Christ's love in the same way as dinner for however many does it, it's, there's no you know that you can hit a, a larger you get hit get to a large number of people but do you know what one on one actually conversations get much deeper and you're able to share lives more and therefore share love and care more and be real with people more. I prefer one-on-one meetings, uh, with pe- uh, one-on-one uh, like coffee times with people. I prefer one-on-one uh, or two, Joe and I and a- another couple to have meals with. But sometimes when we want to grab a lot, bring a lot of people in and show that we love and care for them, we do that as well. So that goes both ways. So what happens at a dinner table then when we... The people of God bring people to our dinner table, we demonstrate the glory of Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world, as He is the light of the world. So, eating with my friend, who I go with every two weeks, what am I doing? We're sitting at the table, and the light of Jesus Christ is there at the table. Loving people means loving like Christ does. So, here's a question then. If you're at the dinner table, or you've built relationships with people and the most common question I have about evangelism when people talk to me about it is I've got a friend I've, I, I'm, I'm really, I, I know them quite well they know me quite well what I don't know is to do what's, how do I take it on a step how do I start talking about Jesus what do I, how do I bring the conversations in uh, about uh, you know, where, to, where to go with trying to bring them on in terms of becoming a Christian and, and for me I think what we do is we go straight back and we look at Jesus Christ and we look at what does he do, what did he do Um, and I think, I think we've got, here we've got the, uh, the Zacchaeus story. Jesus entered Jeru, uh, Jericho and was passing a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree uh, to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he went down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, look, look to the Lord, look. Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." And I'm just, just I think again here we're looking at there's an invitation. An invitation is key if you want to invite people round to dinner or to coffee, or to whatever else. And what I'm saying here is, I'm not saying, let's plan, this is all about, Let's, let's invite people to a meal. It's not. This is about inviting people into your life. This is about inviting people into a relationship with you. And this is about, in that relationship, displaying the glory of Jesus Christ. So have no doubt that when I think, which is a prophetic utterance from Jesus, as he, says, as he comes in there and he says to, uh, to, to Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. I must stay at your house today. It's almost like Jesus knows I have to do this because something big is going to happen here. And, is with a, uh, and and we don't really understand the way that the, the prophetic works with Jesus, whether he just knows these things, but it's the same for us in, in this, that same sort of way. What are we, where are we seeing who to invite around this week or next week? And is Jesus pointing out something to us? Do you know what? What about those friends I haven't seen for such a long time? Who's this? Who, who are we... Who is Jesus pointing out to us? If you've got a friend or a couple that you've known for quite a while but actually you haven't seen them for a little while, perhaps it's Jesus giving you a nudge. The Holy Spirit saying, come on, what about this couple? Why don't you invite them round for dinner? You've not seen them for ages. Just be open to the Holy Spirit. So what happens when we're at the table? Actually, when we're at the table, when we bring what Jesus Christ has brought here, we're bringing the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're actually doing is we're actually trying to introduce people to Jesus Christ. So it's not just about people forming a relationship with us, it's about actually people forming a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if I go through my meal, then actually at some point what I want to be trying to do is trying to point them towards Jesus. Now we are the light of the world, so therefore people will see Jesus Christ in us, whether we say the word or the name Jesus Christ or not, people will see Jesus Christ in us. But the reality of it is, what we're trying to do is trying to introduce them into a... So I'm like, I'm like, Raj, great to see you around at dinner, but why don't you meet Jesus? He's a good friend of mine, he could be a good friend of yours as well. It's almost that's where we're going in the end. Now you don't do that sort of thing in, the first, in your first meeting because you'll be scaring people off all over the place. and I think you're just weird. It might be you might not do that for a long while. But at some point, as again it says in Matthew, we want to have our stand on a, lamp on a high stand, <coughs> saying, here is Jesus Christ. So we'll get on to, how do we get around to those sort of conversations with, our, with the people who are lost? But for the moment, I just want to say to you that <coughs> what happens with Jesus Christ when he has meals with people? We're looking at a process of restoration. So it's not just about me saying, Raj, can you just do you want to meet Jesus and be friends with Jesus in the same way I am? Because it doesn't work like that with the lost. The lost can't make friends with Jesus unless there's some process of restoration, and we see that with the meals that Jesus has. You see that on the, bar, on the beach at the barbecue, where Jesus is sitting there with the disciples, and you know Peter, who has denied Christ three times on the way to the cross, and it, Peter said to this, this girl, or, or serving girl, he, said, he says, no, I don't know Jesus. She says, you know Jesus, I don't know Jesus. You know I don't know. And then, and then when it comes to the barbecue, Jesus, who knows this conversation has taken place, he sits there with Peter and he gives him a chance. Peter, who is racked with guilt and shame over the fact that he's denied Jesus, he sits at the dinner table, oh, sorry, he sits at the barbecue on the beach with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. And he's doing the same. He's, he's, he's giving Peter a chance to be restored for that shame and that, that act of not, of not, of not saying that, that, he, that he's a follower of Jesus and being too ashamed and too scared. So he gives him this chance and all of a sudden Peter's life is changed and the shame, the guilt, the condemnation just drifts off because Jesus Christ has done his thing. He's shown love, care care. And brought restoration to somebody. The prostitute who comes in and washes the feet, and you've got all the disciples, even, and the, and the, the Pharisees all around, all muttering, Oh, look, she's a prostitute. Why are you allowing her to, to wash your, that, your feet, Jesus? Why are you allowing her to come even near you? And he just restores her. And he just says, No. This woman has done this because she, because she knows who I am. This woman's done this because she cares. You've done nothing for me in this room. This woman cares and, he's, and she's, she stands up, she comes in, probably carried, cowering, knowing she's a prostitute, knowing there's probably people in the room that, that, who know she is and she's come down and washed Jesus' feet because she's not really, she's, she's run the gauntlet because she wants to wash Jesus' feet, she wants to get near him. And, but she knows, and then Jesus says these things and all of a sudden, the weight of the world lifts off her shoulder. Actually, she knows she's forgiven because she's just washed the Messiah's feet. And she walks out with her head held up high, a different woman, a woman who is changed, who is restored by Jesus Christ. So if my friend who doesn't know Jesus, who we're saying is Raj at the moment, is sitting opposite me, it's not that I'm just introducing him to to Jesus. Actually, Raj can be restored by Jesus Christ because, actually, Raj who sits there in his sin, because the lost are just... they have their sin on them, they carry their sin, But when when I introduce Raj to Jesus and Raj actually says, yes, I believe Christ died on the cross for my sins, those sins drop drop off. And your friends are restored to a a relationship with our Father in heaven. (coughs) They can walk out of your dining room with their heads held high. They can be so joyous and so pleased. When they're having a coffee with you because they've just met Jesus Christ. So, this is what we're working towards when we're having meals around the tables. But I'm not doing it, I'm not saying, oh Raj, you're only going to be my friend because I want you to meet Jesus. It's not just about that. It's about actually the fact that I care about the Raj and he is my friend. And actually, I want the best for him. I know the best for him is Jesus Christ. Let me just say that when when you sit at the dinner table with with your friends, you have been given the authority by Jesus Christ to represent him, to talk of him, to tell your stories about him. He gives you that authority. You see that in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations who sit at your dinner table. He says to you, In Acts 1.8, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the rest of the world. This is the authority of Jesus Christ to represent him to sit opposite him and tell people of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think as Christians we get too worried about about learning our apologetics. I must have an answer for every question this non-Christian Raj might throw at me. I must know why dinosaurs, whether there are dinosaurs on the earth. I must know about creation, evolution. I must know all the answers. And actually, that's not really, really what saves people. What saves people is knowing that Jesus Christ is alive. And then therefore having to make a decision on him. And you are the people, the light of the world, who are given the authority to do that, to have that conversation. So in Luke in Luke 10, 21-12, it says, because, so, th- so this is it, guys. The person sitting opposite you, it doesn't matter how intelligent they are, it doesn't matter how unintelligent they are, whether they understand Jesus Christ from your mouth or not is nothing to do with the way you present it or their own ability to understand it. It is about whether Jesus Christ reveals it to them. So in Luke ten twenty-one to 24 it says this, because, and Jesus is saying, because you, Father, have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see. He's talking to the disciples there. So basically what, he, what, what Jesus is saying is that you just can't see this. The world won't just see this, which is why the world doesn't just get up and say we believe in Jesus. Because sometimes as Christians we wonder why the world doesn't see it. But because it's because, actually it doesn't matter how many books we put on our Christian bookshops, big bookstalls, it doesn't matter how many TV programs representing Christ we put out there, the only way someone comes to know Jesus Christ is through the Holy Spirit revealing Christ on the cross to them. So your conversation with someone at the table is reliant on Christ revealing it. So it doesn't matter, guys. It doesn't matter. Seriously, it doesn't matter about you practicing what you're saying, being worried about what you say, because it doesn't. The, because the end result isn't down to you. It's down to the Holy Spirit bringing revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Luke ten twenty two. All things have been committed to me, this is Jesus Christ speaking, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Yeah? It's entirely up to Jesus, not up to us. We are called not to try and second-guess Jesus about who, about who he wants to reveal himself to uh, the, father, the Father to. We're not called to, to try and guess that. We're called to be witnesses and then let Jesus and the Holy Spirit do their stuff at the dinner table. And sometimes that will mean some people are saved. Sometimes that will mean people won't be saved. Sometimes, and be ready for it, it will mean that people will be upset. Because we're called to be the fragrance of Christ. And in the, in the Bible, it says the fragrance of Christ, for some, that smell, the smell of the fragrance of Christ is life. For some, the smell of the fragrance of Christ is death. And those are the ones who are going to get upset. But sometimes, actually, the life people get upset because they realise they've got to make a decision and they know they want to make a decision, but they're like, mm, I don't want to make a decision. I know I've got to. And then, actually they, make a, they get upset here and they might storm off or even walk out of your, your, your relationship. I'm not, I want to speak to you again. You'll keep, you talk to me about, I don't want to talk about Jesus. And then, like, three weeks later, you get a phone call. Yeah, I know you're right. Tell me a bit more about Jesus. So my friend, my friend who, who was my best man, he was, it, was, uh, it was eight years before he got saved. Eight years before he got saved. Know, guys, that when you sit at a dinner table, when you sit with a cup of coffee, that you sit there with the authority of Jesus Christ. You represent him. That you bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into people's lives, you are the light of the world. And if they choose not to listen to you, it says this in Scripture: Whoever list- this is Jesus again. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me, sorry, whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So what he's saying is, if someone rejects you, they're rejecting Jesus. And whoever rejects Jesus is rejecting uh, our Father in heaven. Guys, it's not down to you. It's actually Jesus' work to do the saving. So feel free to not actually go into a conversation and worry, because we do that, we worry, oh, is this person going to get saved? How, what, am I going to explain it well enough? Well, actually, do you know what, if you explain it really badly and Jesus comes in power, it doesn't make a difference because it's going to happen anyway. So feel free that at your dinner table. Do you know what, at our Christmas dinner, Jesus might not have been, might not have been mentioned with our 27 people. In some conversations, there were so many conversations going on, there might have, it might have crept in. We had, we had the lost and Christians at that, at that dinner table, but who knows? Okay. So, if we are saying then, we want to invite more people in our lives uh, into to meals and to eat with them, sometimes we... What does that look like again? What does that feel like to have people come into our lives and eat meals with us. Is that always going to be rosy, is it not? Joe? let's have another story.
1: So in stark contrast to our very large Christmas dinner, I just wanted to tell you about a slightly smaller occasion. my best friend, one of my best friends, Portia, got into my car the other day and she said, Jo, I just want to tell you about the best and the worst meals that I've ever had. I said, oh, do tell me. That would be nice. Now, sometimes in our family, when the children say to me, what's for dinner, mum? Sometimes the answer is like a real thing, like lasagna or bolognese or cheesy bacon pasta or pizza. Sometimes I just say, It doesn't really have a name (laughs) because it's just sort of some kind of concoction of leftovers and random things that we're sort of cobbling together into a meal. And one day, very early on in my friendship with Portia, when we'd just recently moved to Kennelly, I I didn't know her very well. I was just getting to know her. Um, She plucked up the courage to invite herself round for tea. We were going on somewhere um, in the evening, and it wasn't very convenient for her. She She lived sort of in a village a little way out. It wasn't very convenient for her to go home and come back. And she really wrestled, am I brave enough to sort of invite myself round? I don't want to intrude. So she asked me, could they come for tea? Her and her son, her baby, a little toddler. Um, And I said, yes. (laughs) Now, normally I'm the sort of person who says yes, of course. But on this occasion, I knew what we were having for tea. I'm going to say it was a meal that doesn't have a name. (laughs) We sort of had some leftover veg and there was sort of a tin of tuna in the cupboard and I didn't even have any pasta, I only had rice. We were sort of having, well, sort of tuna rice, yuck, <laughs> With hindsight, it probably should have been better served cold. But I didn't do that. It was hot. It was hot tuna rice. I am going to say to you, never, ever cook that. Never feed that to anyone. It's not really edible. It was without a doubt. She is very, very clear on this point. She can actually talk about it for a long while. It was the worst meal she's ever eaten. And when I say eaten, of course, none of us could really eat it. It wasn't edible. We just sort of pushed pushed it around our plates a bit, reconfigured it, sort of tried to hide it in the pot plants. It was really, it was bad. I couldn't eat it. The kids couldn't eat it. There was some sort of quiet weeping. No, I exaggerate. Mm, I don't really exaggerate a lot. It was really awful. It was the worst meal that she has ever had. But you know, she says, it was also the best meal that she has ever had. Because in allowing her in to not some kind of special occasion, but just to our our normal life, when she really didn't know us that well, by just letting her come in and feel... it made her feel welcome, it made her feel loved, it made her feel part of our family and accepted and like she could belong, because I hadn't had to well I hadn't even attempted to cook something nice and special and to do something special for her. Actually I just said, Yeah, come, take us as you find us. Actually we'd really allowed her to see who we really are. We're the sort of people that eat tuna rice yuck. (laughs) Actually, we'd welcomed her inadvertently, really, accidentally, in a way that was really special and actually in a way that she'd never been welcomed into a family before. So by the grace of God, actually, on one occasion, I managed to serve a woman both the worst and best meals that she's ever eaten in her life. And I'm telling you this story because what I'm saying is, on the one hand, I'm saying, aim big. Do something extraordinary in your lives. And at the same time, I'm saying, let people be part of your ordinary lives. Let them belong to your family no matter what that looks like no matter what kind of chaotic hot tuna rice day you're having i would really avoid the hot tuna rice option don't don't do that never plan for that in your life it's got to cheese on toast would have been better that's the way i should have gone i've learned we won't ever be doing that again but let people in because actually, that's when people get to see who you really are. That's when people get to see not a display of hospitality, but actually to feel like they really belong um, and are your real genuine friends.
0: Okay, so um, um, what, what are we saying? What, what, that phrase Joe said, let people see your ordinary lives. If we go back to this, what do you say at the dinner table? What do you say with your friends you've taken out for a coffee or down the pub? What do you say to them? The answer is exactly what Joe is saying. It's let them into your ordinary lives. Now what we do as Christians is quite often we have our Christian life and we have our life of the world because what you think is that the world out here won't accept what goes on in our Christian lives. I would say be honest. Let people into your ordinary lives. So when someone sits opposite you and, and starts talking about this problem or that problem, then just say, this is, well, this is how, I, how I face it. And actually, I do that because this is what I believe. If someone says to you, where did you go on Sunday? Say, you went to uh, the, the church on Sunday morning. And explain why. I like going there because of this. Because I go, well, what, do you, you go to church? Does anyone go to church these days? Well, why? It's about ordinary life. It's actually saying, I want to let this friend of mine here, this one here, into knowing who I am. So I'll let him talk this one. I'll let him see what's going on in my life. So I'll let him know the things that actually I care about, the things that actually make, motivate me. So when he says to me, oh, he, he, comes in, he comes to me and we're going for a cup of coffee, he says, oh, let's go for coffee. Do you know what? I've got a really bad headache. Let me pray for you. What do you mean pray for me? Well, when I have a headache or someone in my family has a headache, we, I pray for them usually. What good's that? Well, sometimes we see people healed. Sometimes we see people healed. And then I won't go and do a hands all over it like this because sometimes that freaks people out because they don't know. Not many people outside Christian circles really know about laying hands on people and they just think you're being a bit weird or just trying to touch them. <laughs> uh, but actually, actually praying for And then so I just might sit here and just say, Yeah, Father, I just pray that my friend here, uh, uh, that he's got a really bad headache and it's really uncomfortable. Can you please take that headache and the pain away? Do you know what? My friend, I took one of my friends to Alpha and we got to Holy Spirit night, healing night, not Holy Spirit night, healing night, and people in the room started praying about healing. And you know what? I I took him home afterwards. I took him in the car home and the thing he said to me was nothing about healing. He said to me, you guys were talking, were praying as if somebody was in the room. What he was saying is you're having a conversation with... he'd realised... So he thought prayers were all about. Da, 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 he was saying, actually you're having a conversation. And do you know what that means? If we are having a conversation with somebody, it means that person is alive. And then therefore he has to think about this God who's alive. So it was a revelation to him. This is exactly how I was saved, sitting in an accounting office. And I used to sit there and this, this woman sitting next to me, a couple of women in the office, used to sit there and say, Yes, I speak to Jesus. What do you mean you speak to Jesus? How can you speak to Jesus? He speaks to me. And this, they talked about this fact that they had a dialogue with Jesus. And the fact, so it was just, they were talking their life, their ordinary life, which is what Joe is saying here. It's about letting people see your ordinary life. And then we see this scripture, Revelation 12, and this is the last scripture I'm going to show you to, to, today. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down, and they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Guys, how are we going to change the world around us by our testimony and the blood of Jesus Christ? And that testimony doesn't just mean, oh, I've got to say my testimony, which is how I, how I met Jesus. Testimony is about the fact, I'm giving testimony to the fact I've seen Jesus Christ and I know he's alive. Which might mean actually just sitting there and saying, yeah, I pray to Jesus and he answers my prayers. That's testimony of Jesus Christ. So each time I speak about Jesus Christ and I'm, ta- I'm giving testimony to the fact that he is alive, And every time I say that he is alive, that person sitting opposite me is thinking, if Jesus Christ is alive, what does that mean for me? Once a a fantastic evangelist said to me, the the gift of an evangelist is to be able to take the question and put it in the lap of the unbeliever. So the unbeliever has to think about the question rather than just ignore it. Do you know what? Sometimes the best way to do that is not just by making statements of you've got to believe this, you should believe this, but it's actually saying... This is what I believe. This is how I speak to God. This is how he speaks to me. He is alive. And we do that at the dinner table. We do that at the coffee, in the coffee shop. We do that at tea, in our our houses. We do that down the pub with a pint. We do it with a walk in the park or a walk in the hills. You don't have to pay for anything for a walk. We just spend time with people. We do it on a football pitch. And you're just talking about Let's pray. Well, I'm to, let me pray for you. And if, and if you're worried about how they'd feel about you saying, praying for them, if they say to you, oh yeah, yeah, so how's your family? Oh well, do you know what, my son's really ill at the moment, he's got tonsillitis. Let me pray for him. Do you know what? A lot of people might say no to you praying for them, but it's very rare that someone will say no for you praying for a member of their family because they don't feel that they're able to deny the possibility there could be a God and therefore their, their son or, or their wife or, could, be, could be healed by Jesus Christ and they want everything for them. And it's even, it's you, you, you have even a stronger response if the person is very ill and the doctors have no answer for their illness and people are looking for something and so they always say yes to prayer. But each time you pray, what you're saying is you're not just praying for someone to be healed and a miracle and the glory of God to come and the person to be saved. You're actually saying, but also, Jesus Christ is alive. Do you want to be saved? Glory of God comes. Persons reconciled to our Father in heaven. Um, Oh, I've got one more scripture. This is not the new scripture. This is the one we've already talked about. The Zacchaeus one, where the tax collector is called in, and it doesn't always go through what Jesus says at this or that, but we just see the results, don't we? We see the results of fantastic things taking place. And with the Zacchaeus one, the very last line, not one to ten, the very last line, it says, today salvation has come to this house. Guys, this is what we want, is we want to see our friends saved if you want to see side changed, it's not going to be by regeneration projects, they might help a bit, but actually to see Ch- side changed, then Jubilee needs to sit at the dinner table, sit in the coffee shop, go for a walk in the park and tell their friends how Jesus Christ is alive. And today, yeah. salvation will come to this house because Christ will speak as much in your relationships as he did in the friendship with Zacchaeus Father I want to pray for these people I want to pray for a community that loves each other, I want to pray for a community that eats together that drinks tea and coffee together that goes for walks together that allows their children to play together they are just meets to talk. But Father, I pray for a community that involves the lost in that. I pray for a community that has their Zacchaeuses amongst them, that has their, their woman who was in sin amongst them. They have the woman at the well, the Samarian, amongst them. They have the adulteress amongst them, who can then know Jesus Christ whilst they sit in their relationships with the people of Jubilee, of this church. Father, I pray, fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray for opportunities, as Paul prays for, Father, in Scripture where he says, I, I would like opportunities to bring the gospel. Father, I pray for this church to have opportunities to, to find friends, to deepen relationships, to be able to bring to them what is their ordinary life. It's about a life of knowing a Jesus Christ who's alive. Father, I pray for that, for this church, for these people. And Father, I pray, ultimately, in all of this, that we see... Salvation come into this house. Amen.